Tov, good morning. Welcome to our Aliyah Day. Glad that you're with me this morning. From wherever you're watching, across the fruited plain, across the uh, the globe, glad that you're with me this morning for an Aliyah Day. I am Rabbi Griffin, coming to you live from my office here at Sar Shalom Synagogue in uh, the lovely and beautiful Saginaw, Texas, which is uh, just north of Fort Worth, actually kind of surrounded um, by Fort Worth, but nevertheless, north. In case you're wondering where Saginaw is, that's where it is. In the Dallas-Fort Worth area, the Metroplex, as we say. And so, we are glad that you're here. If you've never been to Sar Shalom, if you've never made the trip, we encourage you to do just that. To come down and visit with us, be with us. We have... Uh, a lovely experience very often with our online community coming in from time to time and, and joining us. And uh, we treat them like absolute royalty. When you come in to visit Sar Shalom, you're like a king, you're like a queen. We roll out the red carpet, we put uh, wine and ale in your hand and fine food. It's just amazing. So seriously, we want you to, to uh, come visit us sometime in, in person or as we say in French, uh, personal. So, <clears throat> we are in Parashah Imor, and uh, which is found, of course, in the book of Leviticus, which we say in Hebrew is, say with me, Vayikra, that is correct. If you have the art scroll Chumash, we are going to be on page 675. The portion this morning comes from chapter 21. Uh, it begins in verse 16. We are speaking about the... Uh, God is uh, telling, I should say, about the uh, the nature of the of the priesthood and how the priests have to be perfect in uh, so many ways. Uh, and so here is the reading, the second reading of the um, of the portion. It says, Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying. Speak to Aaron, saying, Any man of your offspring throughout their generations, in whom there will be a blemish, shall not come near to offer the food of his God. For any man in whom there is a blemish shall not approach a man who is blind or lame, or whose nose has no bridge, or has one limb longer than the other, or in whom there will be a broken leg or broken arm or who has abnormally long eyebrows, or a membrane on his eye, that would be uh, cataracts. But don't worry, we have legalized marijuana for that now. If you have uh, glaucoma, you can have that. I'm just kidding. So it says here, uh, or a blemish in his eye, or a dry skin eruption, or a moist skin eruption, or has crushed testicles. I received the question uh, this week about this particular verse, uh, you know, why such strict um, restrictions against the priest for having these types of defects. The question was phrased in such a way that one could understand the broken leg, broken arm, the, you know, the more, you know, maybe the um, perhaps even one limb longer than the other, some of those kind of things. But why long eyebrows? Why, why a cataract? Why glaucoma? Why, why this other type of thing? And so, uh, we're going to be speaking about that here in just a moment and uh, f try to answer the question of why. 
verse 21. A man from among the offspring of Aaron the Cohen, who has a blemish, shall not approach to offer the fire offerings of Adonai. He has a blemish. The food of his God he shall not approach to offer. The food of his God from the most holy and from the holy and from the holy he may eat, however. So uh, this priest that happens to have a defect is not allowed to offer up uh, the offerings, not allowed to uh, serve as, as a priest, as it were, uh, going into the holy place, offering up the, uh, the incense offerings. However, the priest is allowed to eat of those offerings. So that presents an interesting uh, question. How is it that he's able to eat, but not able to offer? So we'll be approaching that here in a second as well. Uh, verso 22. Uh, the food of his God from the most holy and from the holy he may eat. But he shall not come to the curtain. That would be the parochet. And he shall not approach the altar, for he has a blemish. And he shall not desecrate my sacred offerings, for I am Adonai who sanctifies them. Moshe spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to the children of Israel. Uh, chapter 22, because chapter 22 is part of the second reading, so let us continue. Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, that they shall withdraw from the holies of the children of Israel, <clears throat> that which they sanctify to me, so as not to desecrate my holy name, I am Adonai. This, of course is uh, talking about the Teruma offerings, which would include, of course, uh, the Maser, the tithe, okay? So what's interesting about this is that uh, this particular um, comment here is saying, is referring to, I should say, <clears throat> the tithe that was given by the children of Israel, the Teruma, as the holy of the children of Israel. Like this is like the holy offering. And uh, if in fact they were not to receive it, then that would be a desecration of the divine name. So uh, as we, as many of you know, if you, if you watch regularly, hope, hopefully you do, hopefully you watch every day. Um, we have a, a challenge, a campaign, if you will, uh, going on here uh, amongst all the Lepidniks around the world and, of course, locally, and that is that every single member of our community, every single family, would be faithful to tithing. We are going to put an end. We are putting an end to the days where you have this ridiculous notion where a fraction of the people who belong to the community uh give the 10% tithe. Those days must end because it puts a spiritual block on all of us. It's not just what the synagogue can accomplish. It's not just what Lapid can accomplish, but it puts a spiritual block upon each uh, individual. Uh, it's, it's the Aiken in the camp. We cannot defeat the little tiny pathetic village of Ai because... We, we have uh, people among us uh, that 
do not uh, contribute the tithe faithfully. And, and it comes down to a lack of faith in God. So as we've been saying, that all of our income, no matter what you do in life, your income comes from Hashem. You should know that He's the one who writes you the check. It's not your boss. It's not your company. It's Him. And so because He's the one who writes the check, when He says, can I have 10% back, we should say yes. Why? Because He says, you give me 10% back, and I'll give you at least four times that amount in return. It's a, uh, it's a, we say about bad things, it's a vicious cycle. In this case, it's a precious cycle. And we've also pointed out that it's the number one mission of a Jew. What's the number one mission for us Jews, ultimately? Well, many, many things could be offered up. But it boils down to the number one mission for us Jews is to sanctify the name of God and at the same time, to avoid a chaluch Hashem, to avoid desecrating the name of God. Ultimately, it's what it comes down to, right? We need to spend our entire lives sanctifying God's name and, uh, which is a kedush Hashem, and refraining from desecrating God's name. And if you want to be honest, what should frighten us most in terms of a healthy fear is none other than causing a desecration to God's name. And what should excite us the most would be the reverse of that, which would be sanctifying God's name. And we can do both in a number of different ways, but it's saying here in God's Torah. I want to point out this is God's Torah. This is not, I'm not reading here from a letter. I'm not reading here from a commentary. I'm reading here from God's written word. And it's saying here that if you do not separate the teruma, which of course includes the tithes, then that is a desecration of God's name. So, you know, uh, again, for those of you who've been listening for some time, you know that we like to speak frankly on this uh, in this uh, ministry, I guess you call it. Um, and and to just to be frank, we have to be honest with ourselves. It's best to be honest, right? It's best to be honest. It's best to look ourselves in the in the mirror and say, okay, this is what's going on. And the and when we fail to 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 pay our tithes, we have to understand that there's a lot going on. We're robbing from God. We're not being faithful to Torah observance. We're we're not, uh, we're not uh, a team player. We are robbing from... I, I went over all this in a drosh a few weeks ago, right? We, we're robbing from our neighbors because we're showing up. They're paying the bills. We're not. Uh, we're not rowing the same boat together. You know, all those kind of things. And we're desecrating God's name. I know. No one wants to hear this. No one wants to hear this. Because we grow up in a society in which... We want God to bless us despite anything. And we've been trained theologically that we can do whatever we want and God is still going to bless us. And it has that our works, our deeds, our actions have no effect. Do them, don't do them, doesn't matter. As long as you have faith, you have grace, and that's all that matters. And all of that is not true. Because with great power comes great responsibility. If you saw the Spider-Man movie, 
then you know that uh, that righteous statement. So anyway, just want to point that out. I want to remind everybody to uh, be a tither. And as a result of your faithful giving and all the tremendous blessing that come with that, uh, the, 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 the creme de la creme of that blessing is it's a Kedush Hashem. It's a sanctification of God's name. You could even say that by paying your tithes is is a statement, it's an emphatic statement that God is God, that He is your source. So anyway, it's right here. Who would have known? That's going to be in Parsha Imor. Chapter, or verse 3, rather. Say to them, Throughout your generations, any man from among any of your offspring who shall come near the holies, that the children of Israel may sanctify to Hashem with his contamination upon him, that person shall be cut off from before me, I am Adonai. Any man from the offspring of Aaron who is a Metzorah or a Zav shall not eat from the holies until he becomes purified. And one who touches anyone contaminated by a corpse or a man from whom there is a similar omission or a man who touches any swarming thing through which he can become contaminated or a person through whom he can be con- become contaminated, whatever his contamination, the person who touches it shall be contaminated until the evening and he shall not eat from the holies unless he has immersed his body in water. And that is a mikvah, of course. After the sun has set, he shall become purified. Thereafter, he may eat from the holies, for it is his food. He should not eat from a carcass or from a torn animal. To be contaminated through it, I am Adonai. Verse 9. They shall protect my charge and not bear sin thereby and die because of it. For if they will have desecrated it, I am Adonai who sanctifies them. Verse 10. No layman shall eat of the holy. One who resides with a Kohen or his laborer shall not eat of the holy. If a Kohen shall acquire a person and acquisition of his money, he may eat of it. And someone born in his home, they may eat of his, of his food. If a Kohen's daughter shall be married to a layman, she may not eat of the separated holiness. And now again, let's go back to verse, we just read verse 12 there. Um, the comment here in the art school says, if a Cohen's daughter shall be married to a, um, a layman, someone who's not a priest, she may not eat of the separated holy. This is of the uh, Teruma. It says, as long as she is single or married to another Cohen, she retains the privilege of the Cohenite family, and she may continue eating t- the Teruma. If she marries a non-Cohen, she becomes part of her new family and may no longer eat teruma. If that marriage ends through divorce or her husband's death and there are no surviving children, she returns to the status of a Cohen's daughter and may eat teruma. But if she has surviving children who are themselves Levites or Israelites, she retains her ties with her non Cohenite family and her status as a member of the family. This is a comment by Rashi to Yevamot 67b and 68a. This gives me the opportunity just to re, just to mention what we've said yesterday, and of course goes back to the drosh. Uh, that in this case we just have to reiterate the the reality that um, when we join a, a covenant through marriage, we take on the law of that covenant, not the other way around. 
So in this instance, uh, when a daughter of a priest, as long as she's not married, she has the right and perhaps the responsibility of eating of the holy offerings of Teruma because she is uh, in the covenant of her father. She's in the law of a priest daughter. However, the moment that she marries a non-priest, she takes upon herself the law of her husband. The husband does not become a Kohen as a result of of uh, his daughter, or his new wife, excuse me, of the priest's daughter. He doesn't become a Kohen. She becomes a non-Kohen. She is that proverbial uh, branch grafted into the tree. Now she takes upon herself the law uh, of the tree. So just, uh, and again, just something to think about when people are uh, saying, well, you can be grafted in, but you don't necessarily uh, take on their laws. That concept runs absolutely contrary to the biblical uh, uh, and also Jewish idea of grafting. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't work um, at all. So it says in verse 13, we're continuing on, almost done with our uh, Aliyah reading here. And a Cohen's daughter who will become a widow or divorcee, and if not have offspring, she may return oh, to her father's house. Verse 14, sorry. If a man will eat of the holy inadvertently, he shall add, a, uh, add its fifth to it, and shall repay the holy to the Cohen. They shall not desecrate the, holy, uh, the holies of the children of Israel, which they set aside to Adonai, and they will cause themselves to bear the sin of guilt when they eat their holies, for I am Adonai who sanctifies them. All right, that was the end of the reading portion. I want to share a, a thought from yesterday that I talked about at the conclusion before we get into the uh, discussion of the priest and uh, their blemishes. So this is a comment, this is an insight from... The Kehol Tumash from yesterday's Aliyah with respect to uh, training up children and educating them. Okay. So it says here although the uh, continuity and endurance of the Jewish people hinges on education, the Torah does not mandate educating the young until. Uh, until this 14th parashot after the giving of the Torah. So here we are, 14 parashot after Yitro, and we're just now talking about educating the young. Education is a critical endeavor. Uh, educating our children is, is, is essential, and yet we're just now reading about it. And it says, and even here it mentions only the priest's duty to edu- educate their young, leaving us to infer that this duty devolves only upon the uh, devolves upon the rest of the people as well. It says it is thus clear that the Torah takes education for granted, relying on the example set by our forefather Abraham, for which God chose him to be the progenitor of the Jewish people. In fact, uh, Abraham was chosen because one of the reasons, anyway, was because he would teach his children. The sages, incidentally, I talked about yesterday how Judaism is not a chauvinistic religion. There are roles and responsibilities. So, uh, you know, women don't wear men's clothing and vice versa. We don't get the, the, uh, the, the roles confused. There's no gender confusion 
uh, in Judaism. But um, interestingly, one of the chief responsibilities of the of the wife of the mama is to train the children in Torah observance. It more or less goes like this: the husband teaches his wife, and the wife teaches the children. It's not to say that the father doesn't have any roles and responsibilities in training his children. The very practical idea is that the Abba is is out making a living. He's working. He's away from home, uh, bringing home the proverbial lamb. He's the breadwinner, right? He's the hollow winner. But... Uh, the wife is uh, home, and as a result, she's with the children, uh, and she's training them and teaching them and, and, and uh, explaining to them the halakha, etc. And this is a huge, huge mitzvah. It's a huge mitzvah to train the children in the way that they should go so that they get old, they shall not turn from it. And it's a very, very important, and it's, it's central. And we, we, when we read the Shema, what are we reading about? Teach your children. Talk about it on the way. When you lie down, you rise up, right? It says, We note firstly that the sages refer to the priest's duty to educate their children as a responsibility to caution them. The Hebrew word for which, lehatzir, lehatzir, slika, also means to make shine. So in education, we're talking about cautioning the children. But ultimately, through education, we are making our children shine. We're making them shine. This implies that rather than being content with setting an, uh, with setting an elementary education standard for our youth or training them in the perfunctory observance of the commandments, we should teach them to perform the commandments optimally, even beyond the letter of the law, so that they, both the commandments and the children of Israel, sparkle. We have to teach our children deep things. You know, I I know I hear from the from the the various teachers of our children here at the synagogue that they are uh, when they go back to teach and and on Shabbat that they remark to me all the time that they have to really bring some deep stuff. The children are not satisfied with the mamby-pamby uh, basics. We're talking about elementary school kids here, that they want deep things. I mean, uh, just the other day, they, uh, one of the teachers was talking about how they were teaching the sephirot. The sephirot, I mean, think about it. Uh, it's really amazing. It's remarkable, and as a result, these children sparkle, <coughs> and they're able to they're able to bring down halakha and insights. It's just amazing. It's always uh, we've always been blessed with that level. And so we should train our children. We live in a society that uh, just doesn't appreciate pe- uh, people's potential. This is why you have these. Uh, these messages that are wrote and they're uh, over and over and over again. So we want to train our children so that they will sparkle and shine. And that is the importance, the critical importance of education. So I want to encourage all of you to educate your children to, uh, and to do and, and to take them into deep places, teach them the deep things.
of Hashem. Now, going over, or going back, rather, to this question of the blemishes. Well, there is not a whole lot that is written in the various comment, comment, uh, by the various commentators on this particular discussion. This is more or less uh, really considered a chok, a, 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 a mitzvah, a commandment that does not have a lot of rational understanding. In other words, it comes from God and from God's wisdom. But there are some things we can glean here. And the, primarily, the insights that I'm going to be sharing with you come from Rabbi Monk's uh, commentary to this particular passage. He said, He shall not approach, from verse 18, For any man in whom there is a blemish shall not approach, a man who is blind, lame, etc. It says, To explain the prohibition against a blemished Kohen performing the service, Rashi quotes the prophet to Malachi 1.8, when you offer a blind animal for a sacrifice, is it not an evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, it is, is it not an evil? Present it to your ruler. You will see if he will be pleased with you, if he will accept your, your favor. One can deduce that if the bringing of blemished animals shows a lack of respect, Rabbi Monk writes, Surely the same principle would apply if the foremost servant of the temple, that is the priest, and particularly the high priest, should have a blemish. So it goes back to just the simple fact that, in, according to Hashem, the priest has to be perfect, has to be morally perfect, has to be Torah perfect, and has to be physically perfect. Perfection is a requirement when we're talking about the Kohen. Why? Because the Kohen is God's representative on the earth. Some would even say a manifestation of type anyway, not of literal, literally, of Hashem himself. He's the mediator between Israel and Hashem. And so I believe personally that Hashem is, is painting a picture here that the, the one who serves in the temple has to be absolutely perfect, like divinely perfect, perfect, perfect in every sense. Ultimately, and think about it, the, the priest is serving the temple and he is affecting a, uh, a service that does not have the ability to wipe away sins for all time. He, this is what it was talking about in the letter of Hebrews that he's offering up year after year. It's really talking about the Yom Kippur sacrifice, but year after year, the same offering, which can never do away sin forever. In other words, it was not a once and for all offering. So the one who comes along and has to offer up the once and for all offering, the once and for all okay, that there will never be another uh there will never be another Akedah. There will never be another son who's offered or whatever. That one has to be absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. And so, this is the image that we're seeing here. Now, Rambam, Rambam writes about this and says that in his view, his, he takes more of a rational approach when he's trying to conquer the question of why. And he says that, uh, in his opinion, it has to do with public image. 
that in order for people to be able to connect to Hashem, all they can do is see the priest. So in order to be able to connect to him, they would not be able to connect to Hashem if they were looking at a priest who was lame or uh, had some type of defect, um, all the defects that are listed here. And so it really comes back to appearances that people have to be able to connect because, you know, it's like people say, well, it doesn't matter how you dress or how uh, how you look uh, because um, man looks at the outside and God looks at the heart. Of course, that is a flawed idea. When people say it doesn't matter how you look or how you dress, people shouldn't judge you. Well, try that the next time you go to an interview. Go to the interview wearing cutoffs, flip-flops, and a tank top shirt and see what happens. Will you get the job? Never. And you can you can say all day long, we don't judge a book by its cover. Listen, that's a really sweet um, thing to say for school children. But it's really not helpful because what we should take away from the verse that says man looks at the outside and God looks at the heart is that man looks at the outside. And so the concept here, just being rational, is that because man looks at the outside, we are not going to be able to connect to God unless we see someone that represents God in the essence, or in the sense, rather, that he is perfect. And this is just this is a fact. You're not going to, and I don't care, listen, you see people all the time, these ministers, they get up in the, on, the, on the pulpit or on this platform, and they're wearing... Um, you know, cut up jeans and untucked shirts uh, and maybe uh, sandals or whatever. And they're trying to be relaxed and cool and rel- relative. I'm just going to tell you, no one really takes them seriously. I'm sorry. They just don't. You can say, well, they got people. There are thousands of people uh, listening to them and, and whatever. Yes, but they're not really taking them seriously. I'm just telling you, it's human psychology. This is why if you, you look at the people who are taken seriously judges, attorneys, uh, governors, do they, how do they dress? Always in a nice suit and a nice tie. Why? Because their words are taken seriously. Trust me, don't doubt me on that. Uh, dress for success still matters. All right, really quickly, Ramban, Ramban writes and says, he differs from this view, this rational view of Ramban, and he says, quoting from the Zohar, that the body, the bodily defects render the Kohen unfit for service because they are reflections of spiritual defects that he might have. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai presents it in a little bit different light, and he's talking about the fact that that the spirit, the defects rather, the physical defects are indicative of the the origin of evil, which um, unfortunately permeates our world. And he takes it back to the reality that, that these priests, have, in large part, at no fault of their own, they have been corrupted through these imperfections, which are, re, which are reflective of the evil. It doesn't make them evil, but when we're talking about the service in the holy temple, we're talking about an area that requires perfection. Uh, we're talking about a service that requires going above and beyond. This is why the priest is not allowed to go to the deathbed, as it were, of someone who's not a very close relative. 
because he has to maintain the ideal of life. Um, but Rabbi Yochai points out that just because a priest has a physical defect and cannot serve at the altar doesn't mean that he himself is evil. In fact, he is allowed to and perhaps even required to eat of the holy offerings. But it boils down to perfection. God's servant, the one who brings atonement for the children of Israel, must be one who is perfect in all respect. Ultimately, it's a picture of the Mashiach, Yeshua HaMashiach, blessed be he. End of our Aliyah today. We're going to get more on this. We are getting close to uh, the chapter dealing with the uh, festivals, and that will be fun. Uh, May you have a beautiful and amazing day today. Be joyful. It's going to be a day of good news. It's a day of good news today. It's a day of blessing, a day of healing, a day of joy. So be happy out there. We'll look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow with bells on Bezrat Hashem. Shalom, shalom, and have a great and awesome day.